Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we have Robin McDonald from Grief into Growth, which may seem like a, a challenging topic, and it certainly is, but uh, Robin is going to give us some information that may help some of our listeners. So welcome, Robin. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for this uh, invitation to dialogue about one of my passions. Okay. So let's start with your academic background. Where did you go to school? I grew up in Winnipeg, and I went to university first at the University of Manitoba, and then uh, I finished my degree of environmental studies and political science at the University of Winnipeg. And I'd say part of um, the education happened in the classroom, uh, but something else that happened during that period was that I received uh, a summer job for an organization that at the time was called Northern Flying Sports Camps. And this was a, a crime prevention focused organization based out of the University of Manitoba that flew teams of Indigenous and settler, uh, mostly young people, but there were people of different ages into remote First Nation communities in Manitoba to facilitate recreation and leadership training during the summer months. And um, that was a complete headstand of a life change for me and uh, really provided a, an education in a completely other worldview than the one I had been raised in. And so that, that um, I just have a cat who's joining me in this call here. This is Hazel. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say that really uh, mobilized this the shift in my education from the University of Manitoba and a more conservative education track to the University of Winnipeg and um, the refocusing on a, a more progressive political science program, um, but also the inclusion of environmental studies in my focus. So... Let's talk about your work experience. So when I, I, I finished the degree, uh, the idea and what I what I thought I was going to do was to really focus on um, some kind of environmental work. And I did that for a period. Um, I worked for the Sierra Club. I worked for the environmental. Uh, the Arctic Institute of North America up in Kluwani, Yukon. Um, and then I got a job, kind of a job, more of a, I guess, an experience with a, a group called the Global Change Game. So we traveled across the country uh, from community to community in a big old school bus and um, schools and faith groups and social justice and environmental justice organizations would host us. And we would facilitate um, this global simulation game in which people move 40 or 50 years into the future on a giant map of the world the size of a basketball court and can basically do anything in the game uh, that you can do in the world. And so it's uh, a game that invokes the imagination and it combined um, what was 
by then for me, a love for both social justice uh, that I'd started to cultivate in university. Oh, sorry, my cat sitting on the keyboard. <laughs> um, in university, uh, activism that I, I participated in as part of my uh, university world and life. And then the, um, the work that I was doing in the North and starting to make the links um, between environmental justice and social injustice and indigenous rights. Um, so that, that kind of shook things up a little bit. And I, at the time, I really thought I had to choose between uh, environmental work and uh, social justice work, even though I saw the connections. Um, I didn't see a way of making a, a work choice that, that combined both outside of this global change game um, that was a voluntary experience. And every summer, at the end of every summer, when I came back from working in the North, I felt really homesick. Um, I felt homesick for the Cree communities I was working in. I felt homesick for the boreal forest and probably other aspects of my life and, and those communities that I couldn't have named at the time. And so I decided after my last, um, my last job was uh, after my last time working for Northern Flying Sports Camps, which was then in the last year um, managed by an Indigenous organization in Thompson, Manitoba. I kept working into the fall and um, and I was offered, uh, oh, no, what happened was actually um, I was living with a good friend. I was working part-time in Oxford House, which is a Cree community, remote Cree community, and part-time in Thompson. And the person who I was living with in Thompson, her fiancé died very suddenly. And I decided to stay in the north um, to companion her through that grief until she got her feet back on the ground and um, so I needed to work to contribute to my part of the bills. I got a job uh, working for the YWCA of Thompson uh, doing a literacy through crafting program and I really just uh, my love for the north the boreal forest the people um, it just kept deepening so I, I really decided to stay there, there was nowhere else I wanted to be. And it actually got to a point where I wasn't sure if there was anywhere else I could live. I really, um, I think I started to feel a kind of dependency on, on the land, uh, the quiet. Um, the quiet was very important for me, um, for my well-being. And uh, so my, I was diverted um, very specifically more into community development work. I kept working at the YWCA. Uh, I moved around a little bit, um, but I started uh, managing uh, their Department of Social Action, it was called when they created it. And the focus of that work was to, um, it was a pretty big mandate, but <laughs> in violence against women, uh, reduce violence against women in the North and improve women's economic independence. Um, and uh, because I was quite mobile at the time, I, my, my supervisor there, the director of the Y at the time, who was a great employer, 
um, she asked that I make a commitment of at least a couple of years to stay in that role, which I think was a good move on her part and was also very um, good for me just to have that stability at that time in my life. And so I stayed there and that really focused my career path on um, social justice and social services. But I still felt um, a responsibility to be taking action on behalf of the greater body of earth. And I would try to do that outside of my work. I was already working very long hours, um, uh, but I was trying to be involved in in other work and I I was burning out. So in my twenties, I was burning out, um, which was another kind of education (laughs) and and, uh, provoked a lot of questioning in me and how can I do what I most care about in a way that's sustainable. so that, that took me away eventually, that question uh, and burnout um, and how to, how to sort of be well doing what, what I felt called to do um, to a, a spiritual education that built on what I had already received from uh, traditional Cree teachings. Um, and I felt called to go to a place called Yashodra Ashram in the Kootenai Mountains of BC, which is a um, a yoga retreat and study center. And I started going there and it's a, it's an ashram that uh, focuses on what's called karma yoga, which is, um, which is a, a way an approach of working. So how to, how to work without attachment to the fruits of our labor and really focus on how and um, also for me, it was a doorway into my interior world. Um, which I had really been conditioned to cut myself off from and to begin to take care of myself from the inside out. So all of that, um, yeah, I'd I'd consider all of that part of my education and also um, really helped to inform what I did for work and how I worked. Um, So yeah, so from there, I eventually went back to Thompson and uh, while I was working for, I went, I continued to work for the YWCA and while I was working for them, I was invited to volunteer uh, for um, a youth Indigenous restorative justice program and to experience uh, restorative justice. And I thought I was doing really good work with the YWCA Um, and the community development job, but I experienced more transformation in two hours in a restorative justice circle than I I felt I had experienced in um, two plus years in my role with the YWCA. At the time, I didn't know all the preparatory work that involved in bringing people together into those circles, um, but I wanted to find out. And so that then directed my my work path towards restorative justice. I started studying about um, Indigenous restorative justice roots and also uh, took a real interest in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, that had taken place in South Africa and and the real spiritual roots of of all that work um, spoke to me. So that that then... um, 
led me into restorative justice. Eventually, um, I became the coordinator of Northern Restorative Justice in Thompson, Manitoba, which um, takes cases diverted but are still in tandem with the criminal justice system. Uh, Thompson is uh, about 800 kilometers north of Winnipeg. It's a town that is roughly half um, Indigenous populations, mostly Cree and Dene, and half people who come from other places. It's a mining community, um, and now it's sort of a hub for the north, so it's a government, medical, and shopping centre for all of the, um, for the whole north, really. And... Uh, and because it's a small community, uh, when people come in contact with the criminal justice system and then go to jail or whatever happens, it's not like they suddenly disappear. Eventually, those people come back and everybody else who's living in town or in the remote communities um, sees very quickly that prison doesn't really help many people. It, it makes people who may be hardened from their life experiences harder. And um, because of that, and then that includes the, the judges and the lawyers uh, and the RCMP, um, there was, I think, a lot of openness to looking for different ways to respond to, to crime. And so there was a lot of receptivity to restorative justice. And um, the program that I coordinated, um, over half of the cases were domestic violence cases, because over half of the cases in the criminal justice system in that region are domestic violence. Uh, so we had a domestic violence uh, program, which was is very rare even to this day in Canada. And um, a lot of our the cases that were diverted uh, were for what are considered more serious crimes. So it was um, another great learning ground um, and, a, and a chance to, um, yeah, experience a lot of, I was gifted a lot of rare experiences, I think, by living and working in the North, especially for, for someone my age and, and my level of experience. So my work continued to be a huge education for me. Um, so how did you transition that into grief situation? Yeah, so so um, the north, that part of the north at the time was um, more so in the remote communities, but um, Thompson also has, you know, some of the highest rates of violent crime in the country. And the parts of the north that I was living and working in had some of the highest suicide rates in the world. So that was happening, and there was there was some, um, I would say, like Cree cultural responses to grief that were traditional and were and were helpful in terms of people coming together. Um, but there was also um, a lot of unattended grief, and that included in myself. And then um, it's another story, but I ended up moving to um, the Ottawa region. And over a 10-year period, uh, I experienced seven pregnancy losses, as well as other significant losses. That didn't consciously um, change the course of my work life, but uh, I left a restorative justice job in Ottawa and paused to take stock and question, you know, if I 
you know, what is most important in the work that I'm looking for now? And the answer that came to me was that I wanted to work with kind people. So I'd been working in a fairly toxic work environment and I wanted to work with kind people. That was all that I knew. And the job that I landed uh, was with a, a nonprofit organization, a very small nonprofit called Bereaved Families of Ottawa. So it's they provide a peer support response, a communal grief response for people who have experienced the death of a loved one. So it's specifically for human loss. And um, it very much was an organization where I was working with kind people. So it was we were two part-time staff and the rest of the work was powered by a large team of volunteers, most of whom had um, felt like the organization had been a lifeline for them and navigating their own losses. And they, they wanted to give back for, for receiving that lifeline. Um, people who, you know, question whether they would ever laugh again, ever feel whole. And uh, through the programs and services and mostly the support of other volunteers, other people who were further along on their grief journeys, they received that. Um, and so people really, um, part of deeply attending to grief is that many people um, grow in compassion and kindness. And um, that was very much my experience. But it was also uh, a very deep education in the territory of loss and grief just as the boreal forest had been, except it was a, yeah, it was a, a teacher that lived, a wise teacher that lived within me, um, but that also came through the group experience. So it really taught me um, the value of coming together to face the hard stuff and, um, yeah, the importance of grief for so many things, really for having vitality, uh, for sustaining myself um, in, other, in other parts of my life. And so I, I stayed with that organization for about four years. And uh, then my partner in that work uh, and I, we started our own small business. Initially, it was to... Um, work in remote and rural communities where often there are, are no or very limited grief services. And then about a year into that work, uh, my business partner I'd been working with for many years had to step back and it didn't feel right for me to proceed on my own. And so I put it on pause and I did some other, other things. Um, but it was kind of, you know, it was, I would call it in suspension. And while it was in suspension, um, you know, I was still kind of wondering, do I keep it alive or is it over? And I, I realized that I could not keep doing the work as I had been doing it with my partner. It was almost like a marriage. And I just, it was hard to imagine doing exactly what we were doing with anybody else. I felt like we were a really good team. And I would, I would, I didn't want to continue on my own and I couldn't do exactly what we were doing. And the one area that I had uh, a lot of energy for was for uh, what we might call now ecological grief. So because I had so, had so many opportunities to not only attend to uh, the losses of other human beings in my life, because I had received so much space for attending to grief through my work and recognizing the importance in other 
other ways of doing that. I um, I also heard, you know, when, when other people had a chance and space held for them uh, to do deep grief work over time, it was natural for other losses and the losses that brought them into the support uh, to come to the surface and be attended to. And what I noticed was that many other people were also um, attending to losses related to climate change, related to loss of landscapes that they cared about. Um, and I felt like there, there, were not, there were not many spaces specifically for that. And so I felt called to do that. So I did a kind of visioning process and I, I found there was a lot of energy for that in myself. And I also felt what I can call a support from the greater body of earth for me to do that. And as soon as I decided that, I knew right away that I wanted to base this work on uh, a body of teachings that was curated by Joanna Macy called The Work That Reconnects. And within about two weeks of making this decision, uh, a woman who I know approached me and asked if I would be interested in co-facilitating a workshop for her on ecological grief. So I took that as kind of an affirmation and, uh, and launched into this current <laughs> incarnation of my work life. So Robin, you've got grief into growth. Can you explain what the growth means? Sure. So there's, there's different ways that we can look at it, but, um, one, one easy way for those of us who are based, I, I find, especially in Canada, to see where we have the gift of four seasons is that I sometimes imagine, you know, if somebody came from another country where there weren't four seasons, say from a warmer continent like Africa, and they arrived in Canada in winter and our land was completely covered with snow and it was cold and the trees were trunks and branches alone can't see what's under the ground and we told them you know it's like this now but in a few months it's going to look completely different and it's going to feel completely different and the snow is going to disappear and it's going to get warm and there's all going to be all way more colors on the land it might be hard to believe and so someone who is you know in the acute stages of grief where their life has been turned upside down um, you know, the old signposts either don't, you know, on which they base their decisions, either they don't speak to them anymore uh, or they don't make sense. And they're kind of what, you know, we might call the, the time of not knowing. Um, it's kind of like that in winter. But meanwhile, as those of us who have kind of been through year after year, the change of seasons, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a dead landscape, you know, life is moving under the soil, under the, under the snow, and all of a sudden spring bursts forth. And so it is with, with the journey of grief. So there's this period of not knowing where it's kind of like being in a forest without a map. Um, but if we can stay with it, if we can be patient, if we can be gentle with ourselves, if we can allow it instead of fighting it, um, new life begins to present, begins to emerge. And it takes us through a kind of doorway into a larger part of ourselves, a wider perspective. Um, 
So that's kind of your process, I gather, of how you move forward? That, that's the process that I'd say that I, I witnessed and um, facilitated with bereaved families. But now with the ecological grief, and I'm still, um, right now the language I'm using is, is called Coming Back to Life, which is one of um, the titles of one of Joanna Macy's books. Um, but it's different. So Joanna Macy, who is the root teacher of um, the work that I base my process on, she found at a certain, she's a, a, a Buddhist scholar, she's a deep ecologist, uh, she's a living elder, um, she's a social environmental injustice advocate, activist. She was doing... Um, a work that now is called the work that reconnects with communities and people, specifically groups around the world. And at a certain point in offering her work and trying different things and bringing new pieces in, what she noticed was that there was a certain trajectory to the work that was very helpful to people in communities living with trauma. Okay, Robin, we got, we got to stick to you and your organization. Okay, I'm coming to that. So I just want to explain how. So my work is based on that. And so what happens is there's a structure that whether you're doing um, a two-hour workshop or a webinar or a retreat that, um, that you will experience. So we always start with gratitude. We ground our root in gratitude, which is... Um, well, words of thanks are the primary words of almost every spiritual and wisdom tradition. Um, and they're also incredibly resourcing to our mental health. So by that, I mean, it puts us in a strong position to face the stuff that hurts. So when we talk about what we're grateful for, we often talk about what we love. And when we talk about what we love, it puts us in touch with what we stand to lose. So we start with gratitude. Um, and that puts us in a position for the next part of the work, which I call um, honoring our pain. So when we honor our pain, what I the way I like to describe it is is sort of like when we have a something is wrong with the body. When something is wrong with the body, how do we know that? Okay, Robin, we're running a little short on time here, so. Talk to me briefly about partnerships and the importance of partnerships. Yeah, well, I think, um, yeah, for, for this work, our work is dependent on partnerships and um, also crafted by partnerships. So currently, a lot of um, the interest for this work, it started within uh, faith groups. So it has been really supported um, and also in somewhat directed towards uh, United Church groups and Unitarian congregations. Um, and these groups have been in their own sort of grief processes, has a lot of the great bricks and mortar structures that traditionally or more recently have defined churches no longer um, seem as relevant um, in today's world, especially to younger populations. And so the has the these church groups and other faith groups are 
in this kind of in between time that I was earlier talking to, um, and also have a real interest in how they can better respond and contribute to making our world a better place, more just, and also more environmentally sustainable. Um, they have looked to us to both offer the programs and have them have something that they can offer to people outside of their church walls. So in this work, um, a primary partner has been right now, currently United Church Groups, um, activist organizations who um, are struggling with burnout in the face of their work. But I would say for myself personally, um, I was so lucky to start the work the way I did in northern Manitoba in a small town where everybody worked in partnerships. It wasn't something that people did because they were required to by a funder. It's how the community worked. And so, you know, I would organize, for example, what I call the season without violence for the YWCA and the restaurants would participate, you know, like there'd be auto body shops participating in some way. What can we do to reduce violence against women? Uh, maybe we can help promote some of your other programs. The schools would be involved. The universities would be involved. Um, the unions would be involved. Uh, addictions foundation would be involved and everybody worked together um, because they all, you know, and again, going back to that small community role where they saw what happens when people go to jail and come back, it just makes sense to work together. So um, Rob, I, Robin, you have a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of passion <laughs> and a lot to talk about. So let's figure out how people can reach your organization and you, can you give me the address of your website? So I'll say the website, it's www.griefintogrowth.com. The name of the organization right now is going through a, a process, its own transition, but it's called Heartland. Two words, Heartland. And my email address is griefintogrowth at gmail.com. Robin, it's, it's a great story. You've covered a lot of different subject areas. You've got a lot of education, which has really made a difference in what's happened in your life. And you're bringing that forward in terms of how you can help people, and that's the most important thing. So... Thank you for joining me this morning. Thanks so much, Peter.